Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. According to the BBC, a new round of protests calling for an end to police brutality began on the 7th of October in Nigeria. Demonstrations dominated by young people started with calls for a police unit, the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS, to be disbanded. The SARS unit had been accused of extortion, torture, and extrajudicial killings. Nigeria's president has announced the unit is being disbanded. Protests uh, have continued. The protesters seeking broader reforms. The president has said that criminals have hijacked the protests, ordered the police to end the, quote, violence, killings, looting, and destruction of property, end quote. Cash Valley resident Ann Norman has been living and working in Nigeria. She's now returned to Utah and is joining us uh, to talk about the situation in Nigeria. Uh, Ann Norman, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thanks. Good to have you with us. Uh, so you, I understand, went to your LinkedIn page, your general manager for Sub-Saharan Africa for Pioneer Energy. Is that uh, still your position? Indeed, that is my position. All right. So what yeah. uh, what, what does that involve you in doing? I guess Nigeria and other countries, or mostly Nigeria? Um, Sub-Saharan Africa in general, but I also have found a lot of, I've spent some time working also in Northern Africa, so I would just say Africa in general. I work in oil and gas, specifically gas, and I work, Pioneer Energy, we have equipment that captures flared gas off of oil wells, and in older fields like Nigeria, Russia has a lot, I don't work work in Russia, but Angola, Libya, where the fields have been in place since the 70s, 80s, it's old technology and they're all flaring, and as we know, there's a there's been a push to get rid of flares off of oil because it's devastating to the environment. But even more importantly than that, that gas is wasted, and it's a it's a resource that um, we need to create power in Africa. And so I capture that gas, we process it, and then we send it off to power stations or um, you, you know whatever whatever it is that we do in that area with that particular set of gas. Uh, so uh, Nigeria is an oil producer, right? Yep, a big one. Yep. Um, and uh, maybe situated for people who who are not uh, familiar, uh, Nigeria, I think, is the most populous nation. I think in Africa, mm-hmm. is that is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read I read recently that um, there are two hundred and six million people in Nigeria, and I've also heard the number two hundred and twenty two million. So somewhere, you know, somewhere upwards of 200 million, it's a, it's a big country. There are 36 states. Um, the, subs, the, the Saharan Desert runs right through the middle. Or sorry, the, the line that you see on the map, that green line below and the tail line above, the, the northern part of Nigeria is the Sahara Desert, very dry, sandy, um, arid. The southern part, you if you go from the middle down, you progressively go into the rainforest and into the Niger Delta, and it's beautiful. It's it's a gorgeous country, and the diversity of landscape is quite remarkable. You know, and and I can relate it a lot to Utah because we have a similar thing. You know, we're not quite as we're not the rainforest, but northern Utah is a lot more green. There's more water. Um, but the further south you go, you find yourself in that sandy, beautiful, arid desert. Um, so it's a, it's about that. I live in Abuja, so right about smack in the middle of the country, the capital. So if I go north, I'm in the desert. If I go south, I, I'm in the green, 
lush rainforest savanna space. Um, the north, you will know, I'm sure everyone, I, I doubt it's news to anyone, in the north-northeast, clear up by Lake Chad, we have Boko Haram in a state called Borno, and they've been they've been caught wreaking havoc for a long, long time. Um, the Nigerian military has done a fantastic job of keeping them cornered up there. They're, they're a worthy component. Boko Haram is not something to toy with, but the military's done a great job, and I know the Americans have helped, and there's there's been a lot of help to corner them up there. So that's one security issue that is in the country, and then we have security issues down in the Niger Delta where the oil is. All the oil, all the oil is in the southeast. So you take that corner of the country, and there you find the oil. Um, and then on the other side of the oil, the southwest, you find Lagos State, and Lagos. Lagos State, as well as the city Lagos, have the mo- that's the bulk of the population. And I, I, I think the last I heard, there's like 22 million people just in Lagos City. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so how long have you been in uh, Nigeria? So I've been working there since 2015, and I was commuting. I lived in California, in Southern California, and I was commuting literally like once a month. Sometimes if I was lucky, like every other month. Um, would save me a little a trip across the world. But I wanted to um, keep my son in school until he got a little bit older. And in 2019, January of 2019, so almost two years ago, we physically moved. And I live there now with my 10-year-old son. And um, he's in school there. And so I've been working there now five years and living on the ground full-time the last two years. Mm. So uh, my understanding is there have been protests for out for I don't know how long, um, protesting specifically this special anti-robbery uh, squad, and, and intensified mm-hmm. in in this this past or I guess in October. Um, have, have you noticed that? I guess that those protests been going on. Yeah, they have. They started. Gosh, October seventh or ninth. You probably have the date better than me. They started, they haven't been going on a long time. They just started on in, you know, the second week of October. And there was a spark. I've heard various rumors, and I've seen the BBC report, and I saw something in Wall Street Journal. Um, There's still a lot of unanswered stuff of why and where exactly the spark that led to it. But what I found to be the most credible story comes out of a couple of, um, news organizations, the BBC was one, Wall Street Journal was another, that there was a gentleman in Delta State who was, some some something happened and the police just came down on him, this special unit, SARS, just jumped all over him and brutalized him and he died, they killed him. And that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm so proud as Nigerians to the point that it makes me emotional how they did this because they protested peacefully they organized they took a cue from black lives matters but they didn't go ballistic they didn't start looting and i have many friends that participated in this i didn't um but i watched as the country came together and it's the first time i've seen real unity from the north supporting the south and vice versa everybody was like, no, we don't, we don't, we can't have this. There's the, this police unit, the special anti, this, sorry, the special, oh, it's, 
I always mess up the acronym. Um, the special a special anti robbery squad SARS has been in existence since 1992, and they were formed to take on violent crimes and theft, which there's a lot of that in Nigeria. And this straw that broke the camel's back start launched these protests, mostly led by the youth, because the youth are often the biggest target of this police force. They especially target youth with disposable income. So the up-and-coming educated youth that, you know, parents have, one of my friends just gave me this soundbite, you know, a lot of parents in Africa have literally broken their backs to get give their children education. And it's no small thing in Africa to do that because money is tight. And so these now educated youth that have been supported by these parents that were often disenfranchised and, you know, grew up in civil wars and in just bleak situations, they have a voice now and they're using that. So these protests started, they went on peacefully. Um, to, to Saturday, October, gosh, it would have been a week ago this last Saturday, I actually got stuck in the protest. I was, I, I drove with, my son was in the car and I was driving. We have a driver, but on the weekends he's off. And I was driving myself and I went over to see some American friends in one of the compounds where all the American diplomats live. And on the way back, the protesters had blocked the road, the main highway to get back to my house. And I was nervous because I thought, oh no, how's this going to go down? And it was awesome. It was absolutely incredible because I pulled up to the wall of protesters and I thought, okay, what do I do now? And I was a little bit scared. And this guy came over. He said, let me help you get out. I'll Let's direct traffic for her. She's stuck. And this whole line of protesters, you know, like, opens the road for me, helps me turn around. I had to drive in, you know, the opposite lane of traffic. And then some people met me up there. And they just kind like, complete peace and kindness. And they were shouting. And you could hear the national anthem and... It was not, there was nothing bad about this. They were calling for change in the way that you should call for change peacefully. And that was also going on in Lagos. Two days later, I'm not exactly, three days later, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but it was the notorious Monday night into Tuesday morning, um, October 20th, where the shooting broke out into the protests down in Lagos in, near at, at Leckie Bridge. So that's that's kind of my experience, um, having witnessed the protests and being in it and seeing it and then, you know, living it from a distance with my Lagosian friends. Yeah, that's just extraordinary. Uh, I'm reading a, a piece by the uh, the novelist uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, mm-hmm. uh, who's mm-hmm. talking about it. And I think at least at that point, or you know, she, this was published on October 21st in the New York Times. At that point, she was uh, in Nigeria, uh, so she talks about that that, that shootings. The, the government, she says, the government uh, turned off the spotlights and um, you know. To, Plunged everything to darkness, and then there, then there was shooting. I think at least twelve people uh, killed um, yep. there, which which is a, a big big turning point. Um, apparently, uh, since then, there there there's been continued uh, violence, uh, and I yeah. guess that that's I guess that's why you uh, got out. Things have become very violent. Exactly. They they in pockets of the country, absolutely. They so the. Shootings happened down in Lagos, and then up that same night 
in Abuja, there were rumors, and I, I had friends sending videos and things that were happening, and there was a lot of violence on Monday night in Abuja. And the closest one that came to me was seven miles away from my house. And I rem- I, I was I was afraid. And I, I'm not a person that gets easily scared. In fact, my son all the time gets mad. He's like, Mom, you're not scared of anything when you should be. And he's right. I, I should be more scared of some situations. But I, I worked in the U.N. I was in Sierra Leone during the war, you know, the quote-unquote Blood Diamonds War. I've been in and out of South Sudan for several years and um, involved also in helping bring the, in the peace negotiations of the most recent conflict there. So I'm not new to war. I'm not new to violence. It's scary any way you look at it. Um, but it's also something I know a bit about peace peacekeeping operations. I know a bit about security. I know. So I'm probably way more well prepared, way more prepared than just the average person to know what to do in these situations and, and just kind of analyze it because of the experience I've had on the continent. Um, that night I was, I was afraid and I laid in bed all night thinking Rwanda, I, I just couldn't get the genocide in Rwanda out of my head because one Thing sparked. If if you'll recall, looking back at that history, 1994, there's again disunity in the country, a marginalized group, and uh, and and for them it was ethnically motivated. This is not at all ethnically motivated. But in Rwanda, we saw how quickly a spark, which was the plane crash of the president, um, turned into a hundred days of genocide, like within 12 hours. So I'm laying there thinking, okay, the sparks happened and we just, people just got mowed down and we don't know who did it exactly. It's, it's, it's supposedly the military, but the, the leadership of the country is saying we never told anybody to shoot. So are there rogue militia within the military? I mean, just thinking all of this stuff. One of my dearest friends, um, she lives right at the bridge. Yeah, right there. And so I'm laying there thinking, she's not going to never see her again. She has a 10-year-old daughter. Um, and I was really emotional. I'm, I, even now, it's hard to talk about because I was afraid for my friend. And I was afraid for the first time for my son. And the reason I wanted to, I'm so keen to have this message out right now to America isn't because I want to disparage Nigeria. Is isn't because I want to shed light on yet another conflict on the continent. No, I want America right now to understand we have an election coming in less than a week. It's the first time in my life, obviously, for sure in my life, but for sure in the recent history, of, you know, even the oldest people in America can probably tell you this is something new for them, too, that I've seen violence threatened if so if if my candidate doesn't win, and it's not, it's on both sides. This isn't Trump supporters or Biden supporters. It's everyone. And I've been watching this from outside of the country, heartbroken that our democracy was built so that we would have agitation. That's how it's supposed to work. But not this, not violence. And what we don't understand in this country, because we are naive, because these things don't happen in America, right? Violence, one spark can set off a civil war that spirals down into Syria. It spirals down into what's happening in Libya, a spark. So these idiots 
that say, I'm going to, I'm going to start some war. I'm going to, no, we cannot have this happen because in 12 hours in Nigeria, it went from peaceful protests, not even in a couple of hours from peaceful protests to people getting mowed down by some group that looks like the military. We don't actually know entirely who it is. Thugs looting, I mean, mayhem. And I had to leave. And if you know me personally, that for me to leave Nigeria just to feel safe right now, it's it, it, that's a very big deal because I don't, I'm just not scared off easily. Uh, so you've said, I, I want to follow up on that. You, you, you've said you've been in several situations now where uh, the situation has been such, and, and I assume, you know, uh, norms in the country and, and, and the political situation is such that a spark will just uh, set it off. Um, how, I guess you've said it, but it maybe to follow up, how vulnerable are we in the U.S. Uh, to that? Just a little spark, and we could be in the same situation. Well, I, I don't, I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question because I haven't been here, and I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not privy to like the security situation. But what I've watched in the news across the board, not the fake news, but the real media, and I'm a person that looks at the conservative media and the liberal media. I run the gamut because you have to see what's happening. I've seen so many disturbing articles of people threatening violence if they if they don't if their guy doesn't win. And the problem with that is we are naive as a country. We are naive to violence. We are naive to how quickly those sparks can launch into real civil unrest. And once that Spark, once that fire is lit, it's just like wildfires, right? We're seeing this in California right now. Once that one little spark lights off dry brush, boom, a wind comes, and pretty soon thousands of acres are burned. And that's what we see here. That one spark, if it goes off, think about Oregon, think about Michigan, think about the protests that you guys had to live through a few months ago, um, when Black Lives Matter went out of control in some areas. Those things aren't intended. Those protests are not supposed to be violent. But the wrong people with the wrong set of motivations can spark something that we can't take back. You can't take that. You can't roll that back up once, once civil unrest breaks out. And this is what I've seen over and over in Africa. And it's not a matter of weeks. It takes decades to overcome this. It takes decades to rebuild an economy. It takes decades. Rwanda, that was 1994. And one could argue that they, they, they're, 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 you know, halfway into their healing. But what it devastated, that 100 days, which isn't that, you know, in, in the whole grand scheme of things, 100 days of genocide and the, the mayhem that ensued ruined their country. And to the point that I, I, I'm fascinated with Rwanda and I've read a lot of books. They didn't even have pens and papers and pencils to rebuild the government offices. And they had no international support, but they didn't have pencils to write down things. That's how badly the, the, the country was broken because of unrest, because of a war. And I just think America is very naive because we've not, we've been so fortunate to not have this kind of violence to not have this kind of unrest, and to not have to worry about it, because we're America, right? Like, we'll always get through. Yeah, we're naive. 
How much of this is, I'm not sure what the political situation in Nigeria is. Is, is this, you know, is there peaceful transfer of power back and forth? Uh, is there mm-hmm. one party in control for a long time? What's, what's the political situation? So that's a very good question. The, the country is a republic. They have a constitution. They have a sitting legislature, which much like we do. Um, so there's checks and balances, a Supreme Court, a president sits at the helm. And then there's a legislative body that makes senators and, and um, members of parliament um, that make laws, and, and, and just like we have. It, the functions are a little bit different. There's a there's a bigger mix of British law mixed up with American law in there that you see, but it works very well. So the Republic works. They have a state. States have rights. They, each state has a governor. So it, it's not – you can make the comparison. The American system of government to theirs is very similar. It's a two-party state, really. There's many, many political parties, but it, much like here, there's two that are in charge. And the All People's Congress is in charge, right? Or APC, sorry. Um, I mix them up with Sierra Leone sometimes. But the APC is responsible right now. And there was a civil war in Nigeria that led to a um, revamping of the Constitution for sharing of power between the North and the South. The Northerners are largely um, Muslim, and they're tribal customs and their religion predates, you know, I mean, any colonialism from way back when. And then the Southerners are largely Christians. Um, tribes are tribes are very much well and alive. And so there's a lot of dynamics that, that come into play in the political scene in Nigeria. Typically, for the last, you know, since I've been involved in Africa, which is 2004, Nigeria has been the bastion of democracy. It's the bastion of power. It's the bastion of peaceful transfer. They, they like America, of course they argue about politics. And, and elections are super interesting. But they pass over, they hand over power when they lose. And if, if any of you know the recent history in 20, was it 2015, the last election, good luck, Jonathan. When Buhari came into power, I'm sorry if I fudge those dates because I forget if it was 2015, 2016, but good luck Jonathan was running. He's a Southern Christian, and the Northern Muslims were running against him. And there's this play that you're supposed to switch off. You know, the Northerners have a turn, the Southerners get a turn. And and a president had died in there, and good luck was in. And this very controversial election happens, and... And both parties, I, I will never forget this because I was watching with bated breath in the U.S. And both parties were threatening violence. If Bukhari didn't win, they were going to take on the Christians and go slaughter them. If the Southerners didn't win and the Christians were going to go slaughter And everybody was preparing for, like, serious civil war. And I remember talking to some journalists, and we were just hoping, just praying that Nigeria wouldn't blow. And that they wouldn't, this violence wouldn't happen. And the election happened. It was very, very close. And good luck, Jonathan conceded. And everybody on his side, I, I, this guy should get every Nobel Peace Prize from here until the next, the end of the century, because he still, I, I also will never forget this. He stood up and he looked defeated, but he looked relieved. And he, he led, he, he, called, before the votes were even all the way counted, it just looked like he was going to lose. 
and his people are saying, no, we'll contest this. This is wrong. Recount. He said, no, we lost. We lost fair and square. And I'm going to hand this over to President Buhari. And he made the speech and he conceded. And he stopped us in war. Had he not done that, had one leader not stood up on the podium and said, guys, this isn't our country. This is not how we are. We have a constitution. We fought a good fight. We lost. He won. Handed over. And there was peaceful transfer. And everything was, it just diffused in an instant because of one leader. That's the power of leadership. And that's, that's something I love about Nigeria. The passions are high. They're so high. But they are largely logical until right now, and that's why it's concerning to me. Mm-hmm. And again, I want to I want to make that point. You can take that whole story, change names out, and plop it on our country. It fits exactly the same. We're passionate. Leadership. One leader can make a difference, and their rhetoric, what they say, and what they tell their followers to do, makes a huge difference. Yeah, and we're we're about a week away from uh, you know. Who knows what uh, potential problems, perhaps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a, I, a I'm, yeah, I, I don't know if you think about that or <laughs> worry about that in in this country. Well, yeah. So that was a big that was a big debate I had with myself over twenty four hours. Like, what if I'm leaving one fire and jumping into another fire? <laughs> and who knows? Maybe I did. I, I have a little house in Logan, and we decided to come. And we were going to come home for Christmas anyway. And I just thought, well, let's let's go right now, while things are a bit dicey, and ride this out in the U.S. And I hope that we ride this out in a peaceful U.S. Um, because it's just I I cannot I cannot underscore how awful war, how awful civil unrest, and and how scary it is. And I think that some of you can relate because you did see the protests go crazy here in the Black Lives Matters protests. And think of that on steroids. I mean, that, that, it's, it's not fun. It's not something that you want to aspire to, violence. Yeah, certainly, certainly not. Uh, let's take a break. Um, we're talking with Ann Norman. Uh, she's general manager for Sub-Saharan Africa for Pioneer Energy. She's been uh, living, working in uh, Nigeria and uh, working in other parts of Africa as well. Uh, long experience in Africa as well, other nations. And uh, she's uh, telling us about the, the recent uptick in violence uh, in Nigeria. And in fact, uh, she is uh, back in Cache Valley uh, because of that. Uh, we have her on the phone because of COVID, but she's uh, she's back uh, safely in uh, Cache Valley. Um, and we're going to talk more about the situation in Nigeria following this break. Support for Year of the Woman on Utah Public Radio comes from Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce, offering current business information and answering questions about starting and owning a business in Cache Valley. Details at cachechamber.com. Support also comes from Global Village Gifts, now located at 53 East 100 North in Logan, celebrating Nativity Night, showcasing hundreds of nativities from around the world, November 5th, 6th, and 7th with prearranged 20-minute private shopping hours. Details at globalvillagegifts.org. This Week in This American Life, with gun sales up in these unsettling times, we ask all kinds of people, why'd you buy your first gun now? 
I actually went and looked at guns at one gun shop on the Thursday after the debate, and they were out. They're white liberals like that guy, people of color. There's a lot of fear. <laughs> you got the extremists, and you don't know who they are. That's this week. Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're talking about the situation in Nigeria um, from an eyewitness. Uh, Ann Norman has been living and working in Nigeria until, what, two or three days ago uh, when she left uh, because of the the current violence. She's back in Cache Valley and uh, is on the phone telling us uh, about the situation in Nigeria. Um, So, Ann Norman, I'm uh, I'm reading the uh, U.S. News and World Report here. I'll just quote this. Police and soldiers enforcing a curfew killed at least 12 people in two Lagos neighborhoods on October 20th. According to witnesses and rights group Amnesty International, the Army and police denied involvement. Uh, So it looks like, at least according to the witnesses in that group, this was uh, police and and the Army, in other words, government, um, you know, killing its own citizens, um, you know, which is appalling. The, the the protests, I understand, had had been strictly, and the protesters were were were, were very strict in that we're going to be peaceful, right? Up until this, yeah. then after this, uh, there's been violence. The government is saying that it's, uh, you know, it's the it's the protesters themselves. Uh, others are saying they're you know provocateurs and and such. Um, but but there there was a turn provoked. It looks like by by the government killing its own citizens. That's what, yeah, that's what, that's what we're all trying to figure out. And there's, there's many conflict, conflicting stories. The U.S. Embassy has come out and said, they investigated, and I know this because I, I, I'm close to some people that work in embassy, and I was also gauging my decision to leave with what the embassy officials were saying. They haven't left. Everyone's still there. They closed down the consulate in Lagos, and the consulate is attached to the embassy, and they their their job is largely to issue visas. But down in Lagos, and it, it's not far from the area where all the protests were, so they shut that down. But they didn't evacuate anyone, and that that's very telling because when the Americans don't evacuate their diplomats, things are usually pretty okay. But they they haven't even figured out exactly what happened. And so they're trying to ascertain who this, who did the shooting. We don't, we aren't entirely certain. Here's what I know. And here's what I think everyone, the, the common story is with everyone. And again, I, I have, I'm getting my, my news, my information on this from one of my dear, dear friends whose house is literally at the bridge, right? So she was in, she watched this, some of the video, I mean, she took videos, she's, she saw this go down with her own eyes. Um, the protesters were—they—they—they—they they, they, they got the kind of ground zero for the protests are Lucky Bridge, and they're the protests had been going on there peacefully since October seventh. And on Monday afternoon, October twentieth, I guess was it the twentieth? I'm so messed up on what day it is. So if I get the dates wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but on Monday, no, the nineteenth, there. The peaceful, the protesters who had largely been peaceful and no violence, no nothing, lots of singing, lots of chanting, a lot of celebrities out, 
um, going down. Go, I mean, it went really, really well. And I was so proud of Nigeria for how they did this. Um, all of a sudden, on Monday afternoon, thugs, for lack of a better word, descended on these groups and just started looting. And, and they, they didn't shoot anybody because you no know, private citizens can't have guns. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't black market guns and things like that. But by and large, you know, unauthorized people, it's very hard to have firearms there if you're not legally authorized to have them. So these thugs, you know, descend on people and just start beating them up and hurting people and it, with with no message. Just It just seemed like opportune thugs trying to loot and things like this, and everybody was kind of like, what? And, you know, they had to fight fight off protesters and they had to fight you know, to protect themselves, but this mayhem went on. And then the same kind of mayhem started up in Abuja and in other places with this group of thugs. So now we have peaceful protesters, this group that I don't know who they're identified with, I'm going to refer to as thugs, and then enter some military slash militias slash armed people about, you know, later that evening and into Tuesday. And that's when things got real. Um, and then we have the incident. So this, so those people were called in. The anti-riot police, we know legitimately that the anti-riot police in Lagos were called in to try to curtail the, the thugs, right? But up until that moment, there had not been anti-riot police. They, the police, like, stood back and let this happen. And, in fact, some of the police force in Nigeria even protested with the peace, you know, peacefully protested. So it was very cool to watch it all go down. So all of a sudden, we're like, what? Who are these people? Then the mayhem kept going, and by Tuesday night, the 20th, that's when um, 7 p.m., the lights went out in Lucky, Tollbridge, and you hear, I mean, the, it, it's heartbreaking to watch the video because you hear these people singing the national anthem, and all of a sudden, they're mowed down. And I have heard so many numbers of people that died. I've heard stories that the the soldiers or whoever it was that mowed them down then took some of the bodies and threw them in cars and drove off so that we don't know how many people actually died. Um, Amnesty International has one. The eyewitnesses have one. I, I don't know what that number is. I've heard that it was upwards of 100, and I've heard it's just 20. I've heard 12. I've heard 6. But I don't think anybody really knows that because I do think that they took some of those people that died out and so we don't really know. Then, again, we don't know who ordered that shooting. It's been determined by the U.S. Embassy that, that indeed the shooters were military. They were government military. But the leadership of the media is, or of the military is saying we didn't order that. The governor of Lego State said they didn't order that. And then there's these thugs going on. So all of this is what's right now being investigated because we don't know for sure who did what or who authorized what. I think it's fair to say we know for sure it was the military personnel, but we don't know what we don't know. And I don't know if we will ever know who ordered the shooting of their own citizens. Because the government, the president saying, I didn't I didn't tell anybody to go shoot the citizens. And the governor of Lagos State is also saying, no, I called out the, I didn't tell anybody to shoot any citizens either. I called out the anti riot police to try to get these thugs under control, but we don't really know what happened there. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. That's what, that's, that's what I know. 
based on my eyewitness, mm-hmm. my, my experience and my friends and being on the ground, listening to people that have actually been in this epithet. Yeah. You know, don't want to lean on the parallels too much between the, the what's happening in Nigeria and what's been happening this summer in in the U.S. Um, you know, because there are some you know, very important differences, but some similarities as well. Uh, you know, one thing that is concerning, I think, is that in a democracy, um, protest uh, is very important. It, it, you know, it's it's a way to let off steam. It's a way to uh, have your have a voice uh, heard that maybe isn't isn't heard, and it it can lead to important change through peaceful means. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, it's kind of an old playbook, uh, whether cynically by the government or by provocateurs or or maybe elements within the protests themselves. Um, and in Nigeria, it looks like it was um, you know the protesters meant to be very peaceful and and you know enforce this. Mm-hmm. Now a turn, right? Thugs or what? You know, however yeah. it's happening, uh, a turn to violence, which then blunts the message and uh, and, and threatens to, uh, I guess, divert the movement, and uh, and from peaceful means and the possibility of change to, uh, you know, to violence and and repression. Yeah, and those the thugs that that I so lovingly refer to, um. They aren't calling for anything. They're just hoodlums. I mean, they're, I don't know what their message is. And if someone in Nigeria can tell me what their message is, I'd love to know. Because so far, I've heard nothing from that group. The protesters did enact change. I left this important piece out. And the government did respond. And that's also a beautiful takeaway from this. The, the protesters came out and said, disband this group, SARS. They're killing us. They're horrible. They, they need psychological help. It's, it's, I mean, they torture us, they rape us, they kill us. Stop this. The government disbanded SARS. They called all the SARS into Abuja, um, where I live, and they said, okay, we're going to put everybody, all the, the policemen in this, in this crew are going to undergo psychological evaluation, and we're disbanding SARS. It is no more. And they are going to replace it with something called SWAT, and I forget what the, the acronym is um, for that, but it's, it's another peacekeeping unit, but they're, they're, they've said, here are the measures that we're going to take to revamp what has happened. There will be training. They've called in um, the International Red Cross. They've called in, I think, Amnesty International. I, 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 I get, I'll get this wrong because I haven't read as much as I should, but they've called in international groups, third party, to come in and help train this police force. Um, human rights are important, and... They want it. They, they, so the government has taken action, and they took that action fairly quickly, like within the first five days of the protest. And the people kept protesting, saying, okay, great, but now change this, now change this. So there was a real dialogue, a real dialogue with the government from these protesters, and it was beautiful. And that's why it's so disconcerting that the thugs, whoever they are, whoever sponsored them, set that off course, and now there's violence. And the protesters are all home. No one's out protesting now. No one's out doing the peaceful call. And the peaceful interaction with the government that was happening before this, that went off well, is now over because of violence. So it's a real case study in protest can enact change. And they can do it well. And governments can respond in a healthy manner and have a dialogue 
and change things. It was working. And it worked in a matter of two weeks. I mean, beautiful things happened in two weeks. And then this. Uh, I should say, I referenced this opinion piece in the New York Times by the writer Chimamanda Adichie. Um, she uh, she says that, uh, from her view, the government has promised disbandment of uh, SARS before, and she's uh, she's skeptical. Okay, you're, from what you're seeing, you're you're thinking the government's going to follow through. Yeah, they've never done it before, though. They promised it, but they didn't do it. They did it this time. It's done. They did it. And I'm not as skeptical as all of those people out there. I want to I want to have some faith in our government. I want to have faith in our elected officials, be it in Nigeria or be it here. I am not that person. I don't want to undermine elected governments ever because those people were chosen by you, by us, by the Nigerians. So give them a chance to respond. And this is a different government. They responded. So keep the dialogue up. To the protesters out there, keep it up, don't give up. To the thugs, stop. To the government, listen. Listen to the people that elected you and change what needs to be changed. And it's that simple. That's the recipe for a healthy nation. Well, let's, uh, let's take another break, uh, and we'll come back with the final segment with Ann Norman. Ann Norman is General Manager for Sub-Saharan Africa for Pioneer Energy. She's been living and working in Nigeria for several years, and uh, now because of the, uh, the, the current violence, recent violence is back in, uh, in Cache Valley, and we have uh, reached her by phone because of uh, COVID. Uh, we'll have more following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Global Village Gifts, now located at 53 East 100 North in Logan, celebrating Nativity Night, showcasing hundreds of nativities from around the world, November 5th, 6th, and 7th with pre-arranged 20-minute private shopping hours. Details at globalvillagegifts.org. This is Science by the Slice. Once considered relatively rare, dengue fever is popping up throughout the globe, including the United States. Most people infected with the mosquito-borne virus recover, but the disease can cause lethal complications. Curiously, while people who have recovered from the virus develop immunity to the strain that infected them, they've often become more susceptible to infection by different strains of the virus. USU data scientist Kevin Moon is a part of a multi-institution team developing deep neural networks to extract detailed data from large data sets collected from infected people in an effort to find preventative measures and therapies. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're uh, taking a look at uh, the situation in Nigeria. Uh, we're uh, speaking with Ann Norman, who's back in Cache Valley now, but uh, as about three days ago was in Nigeria. Previous to that, several years uh, working, uh, living in Nigeria. And we have another eight minutes or so left in uh, this conversation. Um, so, uh, Ann Norman, what... Uh, I don't know. Are you hopeful about the situation? Get resolved? Uh, depressed about it? What uh, What do you think is going to happen? Um. Yes, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful it will get resolved because these are people that have seen. That, you know, the older generation. I referenced the education, the parents that have, you know, 
cut off their left ear to educate their children. Um, they don't want to see the country plunge into what they had to live through before, which was civil war, civil unrest. You know, the, 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 when the colonialism ended and these countries got their independence in Nigeria as well, we just celebrated the 60th anniversary of independent Nigeria um, not long ago. They don't want to see that. They've lived through that. The younger generation has not. And it's like, the you know, our, our older folks here in the United States lived through the horrors of World War II. We now hear the stories of it, but I don't feel the horror inside my being of World War II like, you know, my grandparents did or a lot of my Jewish, you know, grandparents. I have a lot of Jewish friends um, and you know, Holocaust survivors, grandparents, and I, I hear it, and it's emotional, but I don't feel it because I didn't live through it. So the younger generation doesn't have that, and that's the thing that worries me a little bit is I hope that they feel the emotion of their parents, and this won't, per, you know, perpetuate into to real civil unrest. I am hopeful, and I love Nigeria. The dynamic nature of those people is unlike anything you will ever see on this planet. They are something. They are aggressive and they're happy and they're fun and they're loud and they get stuff done and they're infuriating sometimes. But by and large, they have this remarkable country and they've built a remarkable place. And it's hard to manage in a situation where, you know, they're the the child of colonialism and all that comes with that. There's a lot of tribal differences. There's there's significant religious differences that cause issues. But there's dialogue. And I think the reason I'm hopeful and I think the reason why I would say yes to that is because there's dialogue. As long as there's dialogue, things will be okay. When dialogue stops, that's when we all have to fear for our lives. And I think that also is a blanket statement that can that that fits every country in the whole entire world, including our own. And if you go back to our own constitution and the founding fathers and the dialogue that took place to the narrative that happened to create America and create the constitution is is exactly what we're looking at. When that breaks down, you just have flat out war. Uh, it's interesting. You've been um, obviously monitoring the, the the you know the election season in the U.S. from afar, uh, you know until now. Yes. Um, and you've talked a little bit about that. I want you to talk a little bit more. What uh, what what are your takeaways uh, viewing this? I guess uh, you know from Nigeria. Man, I could I could write a book about this. America is the greatest country on earth, and. I'm sad that the rest of the world who sees us as the greatest country on earth is worried about us because if they, if we don't showcase the leadership that we typically have and we break down into squabbles, what hope does anybody else have? And that's what I've seen from a distance. I, 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 I find it remarkable that I turn on the news, I turn on the BBC. The first, I, I look at my phone, I look at the app. For the last, like, several months, the, the number one article on the first line is about our election, not about the British. It's about us. I turn on the Ameri- the news in Nigeria. Ninety percent of what is on the news right now is about the American election. I hear our national anthem. You name, can you name, apart from Canada, 
Can you name another country's national anthem? Actually sing it? Uh, Most everyone can. I hear it on the radio in France. I hear it on the radio in Nigeria. I hear our national anthem being sung by other countries. What does that tell you? And so I've seen the the disdain of people that held America as this bastion to hope for. Like, we can get there, too. Question now, they're becoming like us. They can't be like us. They have to be America. And that's the heartbreak that I've... That that's the pain that I feel watching the squabbling that degenerated in this election. It's not it's not us. You guys, this isn't us. This isn't America. This isn't how we do things. Um, I I want to ask uh, about uh, COVID, about the coronavirus. What's the situation in Nigeria? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also really proud of how that's gone down. I stayed through the lockdown. I had ample opportunity to leave and come home. The country of 200 and let's say 22 million, 206 million. We've had somewhere. I've lost count of this because we haven't had that many. But it's between 50 and 60,000 cases entire in its entirety since it began. When when I came home for we came home for the holidays and I went back to Nigeria in January of this year and I we wore masks. We lived through Ebola in West Africa. We have we've had a Lassa fever outbreak in Nigeria for um, for years. So these things aren't new to us. Handling epidemics aren't new to them. So when I came home in January, we got scanned at the airport. We got help checked at the airport. They'd already implemented measures long before America even knew this thing was a real threat. And. So they and they they jumped all over that. The the Nigerian National Health Institute is remarkable. They put pop up hospitals all over. They got ready for onslaught, and then we didn't see onslaught because people got on board. We all started. We followed the rules, and we said, okay, we we locked down on March twenty seventh. Everybody stayed home for about a month and a half. We did not leave except during a few hours during the day. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, you could go to the market, get what you needed. We would go home. Um, but it didn't go crazy. It, it didn't. It's been okay there. And I'm really proud of Nigeria. I'm really proud of all of us that were there in the Nigerians of how we've handled COVID. All of West Africa, in fact. I, I'm so proud of how they they showed leadership in this area that the world should be watching. We just have about a minute left. Um, uh, I assume at a certain point you plan to go back to Nigeria. What are you What are you looking Indeed. for to to be able to return? Yeah, return? After, yeah, I, 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 we're going to go back after the holidays. You know, if everything's calm, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain it will be. I'm very hopeful that it will be. We'll go after go home after Christmas, after New Year's. I usually come, you know, early to mid December and stay until. January, um, spend holidays and head back to work. All right. Well, uh, you know, hopefully the situation will be such that you, uh, you're, you're able to, um, Anne Norman, uh, has been with us. Uh, she's been living and working in Nigeria. She's general manager for sub-Saharan Africa for pioneer energy and has been, uh, setting the scene for us, giving the situation in uh, Nigeria. Um, well, Anne Norman, I'm, I'm glad you're safe and sound back in uh, Cash Valley and, uh, thank you for joining Thanks, us. Um, Thanks, Tom. I'm happy to be back. And uh, tomorrow we're going to uh, take a look at the election uh, once again here um, by looking at third parties.
Uh, several third parties, of course, will be on your ballot. And we're going to hear from representatives uh, from several third parties, including the Libertarian Party, the Constitution Party, and the United Utah Party. Hope you'll join us uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's the program today. Thanks for listening. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Global Village Gifts, now located at 53 East 100 North in Logan. Celebrating Nativity Night, showcasing hundreds of nativities from around the world. November 5th, 6th, and 7th with prearranged 20-minute private shopping hours. Details at globalvillagegifts.org. Support also comes from Palmer Home Furnishings, offering a variety of sofa love sets, dining room, and bedroom furniture. Located at 1670 South Highway 165 in Providence. Information at palmerhomefurnishings.com. This is Katie Swain, the Director of Membership at Utah Public Radio. UPR is listener-supported, and that means it is your donation dollars that make everything we do possible. Thanks to the hundreds of listeners who donated during our fall member drive and our fall makeup drive, I'm happy to report that we have reached our $50,000 fundraising goal, and we've even exceeded it. Your generous contributions ensure that we can continue bringing you excellent programming and factual news coverage. You've also made it possible for us to continue to expand our program offerings. Thank you for standing with UPR this year. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.